ahead, skin it. Skin that smoke wagon and see what happens. of LCMSU, everyone. Who are you? I am the Chancellor. Yeah, baby. Master <laughs> Marcus Zill. That's a fact. Back in the saddle once again, Dr. Stephen Hine from Monument, Colorado. Welcome, Steve. Great to have you back in the student union again. Thank you very much. Good to do our wrap-up today. Yes, no, absolutely. This is the fourth in a four-part study on Christian apologetics. You can give an answer. And so let's get right into it. Dr. Hine, real quick for our listeners who are maybe just tuning in, director of uh, Concordia Institute for Christian Studies, author of uh, Christian Life, Cross, or Glory. You can get that on Amazon. This last session here, everything leads when we talk about the apologetic task really gets down to uh, the question that our Lord had for Peter. Uh, who do you say that I am? Yes, I think this is the uh, big question of, uh, for all to consider. And it's the big question, of course, that we really want uh, unbelievers to wrestle with on the basis of our presentation and defense of the gospel. The question, as was posed by our Lord uh, there at Caesarea Philippi, in Matthew 16, uh, who do you say that I am? Uh, and what's fascinating here, um, uh, Peter blurts out, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And what is fascinating is that Jesus isn't shocked by this reply. Uh, he commends him. Uh, in other words, that that confession about the identity of Jesus is exactly what Jesus commends Peter for. In other words, these actually correlate with the kind of claims that Jesus was making throughout his whole ministry. And he, he said so many different things uh, that indicated just this, and of course it was understood by friend and enemy alike. He said things like, I and the Father are one. You have seen me, has seen the Father. Uh, he, he was always making the closest connections uh, with God in the sense that um, to know him is to know God, to see God uh, is to see him, to believe in him is to believe in God, uh, to give honor to God, him is to give honor to God, and to hate him is to hate God. Um, so the chief question that we want uh, non-believers uh, to wrestle with is the question, who is or was Jesus of Nazareth? He was certainly a historical individual who is well documented to have lived there in Palestine there in the first century and who carried out a public ministry. And no and, one really questions that. Right, exactly. I mean, anyone who knows anything about the historical record, not just in the Bible, but even in terms of extra-biblical, and for that matter, even non-Christian sources of the first century, understand that his historical reality is, is without question. 
uh, we as Christians, of course, uh, uh, we confess him to be with Peter, Lord and God. But I think what we want to do is we want to invite this claim uh, of Christ himself and the apostles uh, to invite the non-Christian to personally answer in a critical way for themselves, uh, well, who is this Jesus? And it seems to me that really there are only four possibilities. And about one of them, one element of his identity, seems not to be controversial, uh, namely that he was, he was a man. Uh, most people uh, grant that. The question is wh whether he was more than a man whether he was also uh, true God, that is, God in human flesh. But the point being is if you say that Jesus is just a man, you really are coming up and having to explain the claim that he was more than a man, that he was God in human flesh. In other words, you have to account for the claim, hmm. even if you understand its faults. And about that, there are only three possibilities. Either Jesus made the claim, it was false, and he knew it was false. In other words, Jesus was a liar. Or uh, Jesus made the claim, but he was only a man, but he thought it was true, but it wasn't that he was the Son of God. In other words, that Jesus was deranged. He was a lunatic. Or about the claim, Jesus never made the claim at all. But after he was dead and gone, his followers made the claim. And he was not around to clarify the problem or to set the matter straight. In other words, Jesus is a legend. If the non-Christian believes that Jesus is not the Son of God, that the evidence for that is lacking then they must be affirming that he was only a man and that therefore one of these possibilities must be superior as an explanation about who he was. Let's review those, okay, and see how they stack up and how reasonable they are. So the first, the first one, the first one then is, is uh, the first alternative is that Jesus was a liar. Right. In other words, that Jesus uh, made the claim that he was uh, the Son of God, the incarnate Son of God, but the claim is false, and he knew it was false. In other words, that he lied about it. Now, concerning lies, we know, of course, uh, that people can be tempted to lie, and many do. But we also know something about why it is that people can give in to the temptation to lie. And they lie out of self-interest. And the self-interest is always where they believe that somehow the lie is either going to escape some negative consequences or bring some gain to them that they really want that the truth would not bring. In other words, a motive. And the question is, is it reasonable to think that Jesus had a sufficient motive uh, in terms of great gain or escaping great loss by maintaining a law, a lie concerning his own identity? 
we certainly know that this was central to our Lord's teaching sure. about his identity. The question is, could Jesus have thought this would bring him great gain? We certainly know during his public ministry, it, he certainly gained great notoriety and certainly great fo crowds followed him. And maybe we could make a case that that was really quite an ego for him. But we know, of course, that all of a sudden they're at the end. There in Jerusalem, the tables are turned, and he is actually on trial for his life about that claim. When a liar rationally lies because they think the lie will bring them great gain, when all of a sudden the circumstances change, and now it's going to bring them great loss, for the very same rational reason, what do liars do? They fess up, right? Well, that's why you get Pilate pulling Jesus inside, saying, do you not know who I am and what I have the power to do to you? Uh, or when he's before the Sanhedrin and sure. they ask a question and he knows his life is in the balance, are you the son of God? Notice just doesn't Jesus does not reply by saying, oh, my goodness, no. Uh, uh, I <laughs> you must have gotten the wrong idea. <laughs> or... Gosh, I don't know what came over me, uh, or I think you, you misunderstood what I was really trying to say, blah, blah, blah. No, Jesus simply responds yes and goes to his cross because of it. Could Jesus have thought that, well, if he bites the bullet, that the God of Israel would reward him in the afterlife for claiming God's identity? Hardly. In other words, the idea that Jesus was a liar about his own identity fails for lack of any rational motive. Let's go to the second alternative. Jesus claims himself to be the son of God. He isn't, though. He's just a human being. But he really believes it's true. In other words, <clears throat> that Jesus thought he was incarnate God, but he was self-deceived concerning his own identity. He was deranged. Now, we know that we have people in mental institutions today who have made such a break about reality, including their own identity, some even thinking that they are God. Is it reasonable to think that Jesus was such a candidate? The question is, do we see abnormality or imbalance in our Lord in the portrait that we find in the New Testament. We clinically know uh, today many of the characteristics of deranged people. When things are calm, deranged people can seem very normal. We can visit them in institutions under very calm conditions and wonder why the heck are they there? They seem so normal. The point being is that uh, deranged people <clears throat> cannot handle stress. We know that stress with normal people frays our nerves and things of that sort, but with deranged people, they cannot handle that stress, and so they make mental breaks on reality. The question, does Jesus show such abnormality? Jesus shows abnormality, and Pilate recognizes it, but it's of the opposite sort. 
Hmm. Under conditions of great stress, Jesus shows himself to be calm as the cucumber. Right? In like a words, lamb before the shearers is silent. And... He is the picture of calmness. In other words, he is abnormal in his ability to handle stress. But he is not breaking from reality. In other words, he is not breaking from an awareness of this stress. Right. For we learn that he knows just what's going to happen within the garden and is under so much stress that actually the capillaries in his forehead break and he sweats blood. This is a condition of great stress. So uh, Jesus is hardly a poor, uh, he is a very poor candidate for derangement or showing any signs of abnormality uh, in, in terms of instability under great stress. Uh, one psychiatrist, man by the name of J.T. Fisher, wrote an article indicating that if you were to boil down all of the meat uh, of the sum totals of authoritative articles on mental hygiene, you would come up with a rough outline of the Sermon on the Mount. Interesting. Uh, in, in other words, Jesus exhibited abnormality, hmm. but the abnormality indicated a stability and an anchoring of his own personal identity and character that is beyond that even of us regular normal folk. In other words, the opposite condition of derangement. Hmm. But let's go to the third alternative, because the third alternative is often one that we hear. And that is that, well, Jesus was a historical figure, but he actually never made the claim at all himself uh, that he was uh, God in human flesh, uh, but that after he was dead and gone, his followers set forth a fictitious, fanciful account of him, like in our gospel records, that deified him and put back into his mouth such claims in their preaching and writing about him after his death. Notice that this position basically means that Jesus is a legend. Hmm. He had some basis in history, but the account that we have of him has fanciful, made-up, fictitious elements in it, purposely set forth by the followers of Jesus. In other words, the followers of Jesus were liars. Now, one of the things that we know about Jesus, and that is he was a public figure. As a public figure, uh, who everybody knew of, regardless of what they thought about him, uh, one of the things that we know, and that is that the records that we have written in our Gospels come no more than uh, written within 30 or 40 years of his lifetime. Now, one of the things that we know with conspiracies, you can fool some of the people some of the time but you can't fool all the people all the time. Hmm. Used, I like to use this example even now. Imagine that people today decided to write a fictitious account of John F. Kennedy and wished to say that during his lifetime, he claimed to be God in human flesh 
and that you could have life with God beyond the grave by believing in him in such a thing. Could anybody get this kind of a story as a credible story if they decided to begin this fanciful tale about John F. Kennedy and to do it in Hyannisport, Massachusetts? <laughs> now, notice how it would never get off the ground because there are still people alive who remember John F. Kennedy, both those who are friends of John F. Kennedy and those who didn't think much about him. Both would be aghast, of course. And there would be, therefore, those uh, who would set the record straight immediately about such a fanciful tale. It's one thing to think of the followers of Jesus trying to hatch a legend about Jesus and doing it in Tibet. It's another thing when they begin in Jerusalem, where Jesus was the most public figure. The other thing, of course, is Jesus was crucified in Jerusalem at the behest of Jewish leaders who believed him to be a false blasphemer claiming to be the Son of God, but they did not believe it to be such and therefore deserving death. If Jesus never made the claim, however, why was he crucified? In other words, all testimony that we have in the first century, by friend and enemy alike, by those who believed in him and those who disbelieved, never questioned that he made the claim. So the notion that the followers of Jesus uh, lied about this is absolutely more incredible than the empty tomb that Jesus rose from the grave. The other thing that we would wish to say is liars, again, have motives. What is it that, that the apostles could think that somehow they would receive positively from maintaining such a legend and a lie about Jesus? They all but one died a martyr's death going to their grave about this claim, and not one recounted their testimony. So again, it seems to me, uh, and they died precisely because of their preaching and teaching about Jesus. In other words, they had no rational reason to take such a lie to their grave. So then we come to the fourth option, because if these are weak, that does not necessarily make some other option the only viability. Namely, that Jesus made the claim and the claim is true. And we go back to the elements that we talked about in the second uh, session. Jesus claims to be God in human flesh. He claims to be a heavenly physician here to decisively take care of our problem of evil, probably most centrally realized by all of us. All of us are, do not have a problem with blindness. All of us do not have a problem of being deaf or paralyzed or not having enough wine to drink or margaritas for that. Matter. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> we all don't have a problem of, of being uh, at sea in a big storm. But there is one problem that we all have that Jesus dealt with most decisively. It's the death problem. 
it faces all of us. And if Jesus has set forth the credentials that, number one, he has conquered that problem, and number two, promises that we can get in on it, the question that we want to raise for the non-Christian, have you got a better one to call your Lord and your God, as Thomas did, and to entrust your future to? Christians are those who believe that those credentials are sufficient over against the other three possibilities of interpreting him. They are superior in terms of the weight of evidence and therefore are not going to play the role of the skeptic, but trust him as the apostles did as Lord as God and the one to take care of their death problem. In other words, the possibility and the likelihood that in him we can have a happy forever and the grave can be conquered for us as it was for him. And of course, the uh, the Holy Spirit, through the Word of God, bears witness to these credentials yeah. uh, before us today. And so we aren't walking around um, without the—I mean, we have everything in our toolkit, as it, as, it, as it were, to be able to discuss these things with those and to have dialogues. We shouldn't be afraid of having a dialogue about, the, about these truth claims that we make. Very much so. Uh, again— uh, the credentials here for option number four. Jesus made the claim, and the claim was true. Uh, that is to say, we are arguing that that fits the facts, all of the facts, but only the fact in connection with the historical record of his life better than any alternative explanation. In other words, again, it's going with the weight of the evidence not against it. Dr. Hine is fantastic stuff. We just got a couple, three minutes left here, but uh, anything you'd like to do is we're kind of drawing to a close our four part series. You can give an answer uh, just to kind of wrap this up for us and put a bow on it. And maybe I know we could spend probably another four sessions just on the resurrection itself, but maybe uh, include its importance as well. So wrap this up for us, if you would. Well, I, I, I hope anyways that what this can, what, what our time that we have had for the listeners who have followed our sessions here, um, uh, first of all, one of the things, the, the study that we had just gone over, uh, there is going to be a small booklet uh, that presents uh, just the material that we have been presenting here over these four sessions it's going to be published by New Reformation Press. Uh, it's, uh, it's being typeset as we talk right now. And I am being told uh, it will be sold on Amazon. It will be called You Can Give an Answer. And it's going to be available, I am told, probably uh, somewhere in September or the first part of October. And listeners can be uh, looking forward to that. In addition to that, there are many fine works. Uh, Dr. John Montgomery, who is one of my graduate professors, is one of the foremost uh, apologists, uh, who is a Lutheran himself, uh, and he has many great works out on apologetics. And there is a marvelous work, almost exhaustive, 
uh, that goes over just these kinds of materials by Josh McDowell. It's, uh, it's been in print for many, many years called Evidence That Demands a Verdict. In fact, I think the latest edition is called More Evidence That Demands a Verdict. And well, they, have, they have just updated that. You can even get it on an, an audio book. It's fantastic, fantastic yeah. piece of work. These are resources if you want to uh, pursue these matters in greater detail and these elements and arguments uh, and greater bibliographies. I commend these authors to you as excellent, uh, along with all of the works, of course, of C.S. Lewis, sure. uh, which are just tremendous. So there is much more uh, material out there, but I hope that for our listeners, I have whet your appetite and increased a sense of confidence that, yes, out there, you can give an answer, a good, powerful answer for the hope that is within you in our common faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Great stuff. Thank you, Dr. Stephen Hine out in Monument, Colorado, for spending a better part of a month with us here in the Student Union. Thanks so much, Mark. It's yeah. so good to, to do the series with you. Take care, my friend. You bet. Go ahead, skin it. Skin that smoke wagon and see what happens. That's a fact. That's a fact. Well, that's all we have time for here today. Check out lcmsu.org. And remember, college is tough. You need Jesus, we'll help.